Hello and welcome to this episode of Creative Waffle. I'm your host Mark Hirons and today we are chatting with Preston Atterbury. All the way from Atlanta, Georgia, Preston is the creator of Simple City and Design Q and he also has a YouTube channel. In this podcast we talk minimalist design, YouTube, Simple City and design theory. I really hope you enjoy the show. Without further ado, this is my chat with Preston Atterbury. So you've pretty much sold Atlanta to me as well, like watching your videos and uh, it's, it's so <laughs> That's cool. That's awesome, I'm proud of that. Yeah, it, it looks like an awesome place. I mean, coming from sort of out, just outside London, uh, the city, okay. I never really liked, well, I used to really love London, but now I've gone off it a bit since I've travelled there quite a lot. Um, but it seems like Atlanta seems to be a mix of the two, like a little bit of countryside, quite a few parks and then like the buildings as well, the cities. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like a, it's a mid mid sized city in in the U S. It's kind of the capital of the South at least. Right. And um, so it's actually called the city of trees. We have like the most tree coverage out of any major city like in the U S. Maybe in the world. Wow. So we have a lot of parks, but really just a lot of trees everywhere, and just kind of like on sidewalks and and all that. So it is a pretty green space and you can't really tell until you're like in an airplane or in a helicopter above the city and then it's just covered in green and yeah that's what you see so that's cool it must be good for like oxygen and because the city's being um bad for yeah. pollution yeah not too much smog i mean there's a good bit of industry here but generally i think our air is like pretty clean so cool. that definitely helps one thing that um first sort of popped up sure. is uh the the switch yards and i see scott fuller there all the time as well um, yeah like what is it like a co-working area I, i've never really known yeah so it's like a co-working space but then it's a little more than that in some ways it's kind of more of a collaborative um, environment and mm. so um there's a coffee shop on the first floor and 50 bucks a month you get unlimited coffee and you wow. can stay you can go in and kind of work there and then i'm on this on the third floor and scott's on the second floor and these two floors have permanent desks that's cool and um so people just rent them out per desk and there's like, you know, two or three people in each office. Yeah. And um, so it's in that way, it's like a co-working space. But beyond that, there's kind of an internal incubator here um, where some of the founders of the building are working on startups with some of the founders here. Mm. There's um, two like 350 person events each Jeez. month. One of those is, is called Made in Atlanta, and that's basically uh, successful brands that were made in Atlanta come and talk um, and kind of share their victory and, and how they grew. And then there's another thing we have called the Consumer Show, and at the Consumer Show, five startups come and give their pitch to the crowd. Uh, there's beer served, and so it's kind of a fun environment, but it's a way for startups to kind of um, you know pitch, pitch to people and, and get some free exposure. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's a bit like, a, like the whole of the Switch. I just a bit more like a creative hub, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. awesome. I'll have to come and visit one day. Um, yeah, for sure. That's cool. Also, it's Creative South as well. Like, that's something I want to go to as well. Is that something yeah, sort yeah. of near? Cause is that where? Where is that? Um, it's a few hours south of right. here. Yeah. So uh, Atlanta's kind of in the um, north, like right in the middle of the state, in the uh, kind of northern third of the state yeah and then uh creative south is like all the way down south of kind of the bottom of the state it's in the same state but it's a few hours yeah yeah jeez yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. crazy for me because obviously we can get to one end to the other like in an hour so uh yeah yeah it's a, it's a little different for sure yeah 
just puts into perspective like how big it actually is. Um, yeah, I know. It's mental. Uh, so I want to talk about uh, Simple City. Uh, sort of where did you get the idea and, and um, sure. yeah, what the inspiration was and, and uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, Simple City is an exciting story. I, I'm always uh, happy to share it. Basically, I was, um, I was, I, I've been doing design for a while. Actually, an interesting story is, I started doing design in England. I my family's British, oh, wow. and um, my uncle lives over there. And so I got invited for the summer when I was 16 to basically work on his farmland, which was more kind of the residential area. He owned a bunch of acres, like 300 acres, but Jeez, I worked wow. kind of around the house doing that thing. Um, but then he also had a, a kind of a contemporary church and there was a graphic designer there. And so a few days a week I would work at the church and I basically just did media at this church. Um, and so up to that point, I'd like dabbled in software, dabbled in design, but didn't know anything robust or, you know, something like Adobe software. And that's where I really learned. And basically from that, that point on, that's when I started freelancing. Mm. Uh, so I was at 16. So when I was freelancing right before I came to college or university, I worked with this uh, an old friend who was, who was kind of starting up this business around my hometown in Lilburn. And Lilburn is kind of a sleepy town. There's, you know, a, just a few old buildings that were there. It's not, it's not a big town by any means, not a big cultural hub, but he wanted to create some love for that area. And so there was these three old buildings and he wanted to create a logo and kind of rebrand those buildings and rebrand the area. Yeah. So when we, you know, he hired me to do this, he wanted me to create this logo. And that's where we started to kind of develop the what, what would become the simple city style. And so it was a mixture of thin and thick lines, something that made it iconic, but had enough detail so that it triggered that understanding of what that building actually was. Um, and so that project, you know, started and finished and it was successful and we kind of moved on and that's when I, I moved to the city. So I lived kind of in the suburbs about 25 minutes outside the city. I moved into the city to go to university and that's when I really got exposed to the buildings, really inspired by them and would ride my bike around the city and experience it. And that was kind of an awakening for me being in, in the heart of the town, like being in the middle of the culture. Mm. So... I started this one project. It was actually just called the city, like the uh, Atlanta building series. And it really could be called like complicated city because they were very, um, they were very dense illustrations just of the tops of the buildings. Because if I were to try to do the whole building, it would take me so long. Like some of these illustrations, they ranged from like six hours to 10 hours yeah, just to sound. do one illustration. Um, and that was because I did all the texture and shadows and the colors. Wow. It was pretty intense. So I really only ever finished like 10 of those maybe. Um, and that was kind of in my first week of being in downtown because hmm. I didn't actually have any classes. So I had a bunch of free time. That's when I was doing them. And so I did that and I enjoyed that because I loved connecting with the city, but it just wasn't feasible to scale it to continue to do it. And so a few months went by, you know, this isn't even like kind of, it's kind of weird to describe this time because it, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't thought out. It's just kind of what happened. And I got to the point where 
it was December of that year and I was actually back home for the holidays and for some reason, I'm not sure why, but I wanted to illustrate the um, Flatiron building in downtown in that same style that I did for the Lilburn buildings. And even the file on my computer today is called Minimal City Flatiron. Right before I, I, I posted this thing to Instagram and I hashtagged it Simple City. I almost hashtagged it something else. So really no, no time went into thinking of the name it was literally just a hashtag that yeah. i could use and that's basically how it started that's pretty cool um what do you call the style like i know it's just simple and minimal but because yeah so whenever i quantify i usually just say it's a minimalist um you know building illustration or architecture illustration that's kind of the only way that i found and i mean it is truly minimalist in, in that way in and kind of my understanding of minimalism is not that you get rid of as much as possible, but you find the balance between what is needed and what is not needed. Yeah. And so whenever I illustrate a building, that's actually kind of what I'm doing. Is I look at a photo or I try to actually see the building in person and kind of experience it in one way or another. But I look at the building and I kind of see what are the distinct features of this building that are that have to be on here for this illustration to make sense. Yeah. And what are the things that kind of distract from this nice form and what, and you know, what can I simplify? What can I remove? So a lot of times that's windows. I don't put, you know, as many windows as actually the, on the building. Um, or maybe if it's kind of like a glass facade with the whole thing's glass and it has all these lines in it, I'll put less lines to kind of space it out mm. so it doesn't feel too cramped. And so really it's all a balancing act with all the different line widths to find uh, which you know features will make the building look best and kind of trigger that mental understanding of that this is that building when you when you look at the illustration. Cool, cool, yeah. Because I've seen um, people working in a similar style, and I've sort of got inspiration from different parts um, mm-hmm. with my sort of building illustrations and uh, some doing playing card projects at the moment um, with tons of buildings from around the world. Yeah, it, I have, I've decided to go with the same thickness, or try and say it's pretty much the same thickness yeah. throughout the whole thing. And we call that sort of like a mono line, um, mm-hmm. which I just found mm-hmm. out last week. So uh, I just I've been like you, I don't really have a name for it. But then obviously that's that's interesting as well. Yeah, I've definitely looked at your style specifically, and a lot of people who have done other kind of building illustrations have stuck mm-hmm. with that mono style. And I think there are there there are pros and cons to each. I think with yeah. mine, mine is very very limited on size and scaling so like you really can't scale my illustrations uh, down much because the lines will run together Mm -hmm. in a way Um, like the detail is fine-tuned for the very size that it is you can pretty much make it larger and it's fine but you can't go much smaller than an inch or two inches or it really starts to mess up so one of the biggest downfalls of the way that i do it is that if you reverse the colors if you make the background color lighter than or darker than the foreground, the line colors, mm. then it looks like a negative image and it doesn't really work. One thing I, I find that my clients want to do a lot is they, they really like having a bold, bright color background. Yeah. And for my illustrations to work, the background has to be lighter than the line work because the illustrations are designed so that the color of the actual building is provided by the background, if that makes sense. So instead of instead of illustrating any of the actual like uh, building, 
like the walls and the kind of thick parts of the building, mm. I do all the details. So if it's brick, I don't do the color of the brick. I do just the kind of white lines that you see in the brick. Yeah. And so when you flip the color on that, then the lines look like they're trying to be the part, the kind of the, the thick part of the building, mm. and then it really kind of throws off. So I obviously like the style, and I've you know, kind of decided to go that way, understanding that it's pretty like inflexible in, in terms of kind of comparing it to your style or, or other people's style that has kind of a, a unified line thickness. Yeah, I, I know definitely with... Um, especially put on the playing cards, it, noticing them that small, it's going to be a struggle, I think, uh, because of the thickness. Um, I might just look at that when they're being printed, because if it was the print the ink, might just merge together. So I've got to be a bit careful there. Um, For sure, yeah. I really like the way it feels like you can get a bit more detail in yours, though, because it because they're using thin lines as well. Um, it feels like it's just just uh, bit, maybe a bit too thick with the one I'm doing. So I might I move to that after the uh, playing cards. If sure, it, yeah, maybe. yeah. I think I think that's one of the things. I think it creates a, a little bit stronger mental picture because these details aren't the same in people's minds. For instance, like the thickness of a ledge is not going to be the same thickness as the the lines in a brick, um, and so it really can kind of trick the mind in ways you don't want when you're using you know one line thickness. And I've actually done illustrations in this style. Um, and I like the way they they turn out, but I think that sometimes it's hard to distinguish the buildings within them. Like if you do a skyline, it's kind of hard to see the difference between the buildings. Everything kind of runs together yeah. in a positive and negative way. It looks like a nice full composition, but also sometimes it's hard to distinguish kind of the incremental details of of the buildings in there. Yeah, definitely. Um, what's what's next for the series? Because I've I've seen that you're bringing the Atlanta stuff back. So yeah, I think um, right now I'm taking a little bit of break from Atlanta. So what I did is I started the project like three years ago. It feels crazy that I started that long. So I started it three years ago, and it really was nothing. It was just me kind of loving these buildings and illustrating them, and it got some pretty good traction on social media, and that's what really kind of made me uh, kind of pique my interest and say, oh, well, maybe there is something here. And so I started to do more and more, and then I, you know, had a party and, and kind of turned it into a business for a little bit and started doing that thing, doing a bunch of events, opening an online store and selling online and selling at some stores like West Elm. And then I took a break because I wanted to work on some other projects. And so recently, it was basically three months ago, I was like, I really want to kind of start this up again, start selling some more prints. Um, maybe do some apparel and kind of expand slowly. Mm. And so what I did is from the beginning of October to the end of December, I illustrated a new building pretty much every day. Wow. So I started to kind of skip weekends, and I would miss a day every once in a while. But pretty much every day I would do a completely new building, and most of them were from Atlanta. Some of them were from Chicago. Um and what I would try to do is find buildings that are like in the news or important to people. And there's a lot of ones I missed in the first series. And so it was kind of fun to go back and redo them. Some of them were super easy because they're just, some buildings are literally just rectangles with a logo on the top. We have two of those in Atlanta, but the AT&T building, the Coca-Cola building, very, very basic buildings. 
Well, what's next for the series is again, so I kind of took a break, and, you know, at the end of December, stopped doing them daily. Mm. And so I'm right now about to start out doing some more Chicago buildings. I just got back from Chicago, which was an amazing experience. I love the city. Um, as you may know, it's like the, the architecture capital of the world. Yeah, the, the most prominent firm in the world, Skidmore, Arlington, Merrill, are based there. And, mm. you know, some of the tallest buildings in the world, like the, world, the One World Trade Center in New York, uh, the Burj Khalifa, mm. um, the, uh, the Willis Tower, that used to be the Sears Tower in Chicago and the Hancock Center. All those buildings are designed by Skidmore, um, and they're just their their achievements are amazing. So I love being able to be in that city and kind of actually experience the building. So I've I've been there twice, uh, but I I kind of have a um, a high bar set because I really can't find the motivation to do these building illustrations if I haven't seen the building in yeah. real life. Because there's so much to a building. There's um, there's kind of like where it's placed you know, what significance it has in the city. Mm. And so there's all these different factors that I kind of want to understand before I start illustrating it. Because beyond doing these illustrations, I'm trying to push some kind of agenda, trying to educate to some extent. Mm. Um, so that's kind of where the art form takes more, goes more into storytelling and being able to tell uh, the story of the city. And that's kind of why I love doing Atlanta. Yeah, and that's kind of a challenge in going to other cities because I don't love every other city like I do Atlanta. So that makes sense. There's like a sort of personal connection to the city, and obviously the buildings. Sure. If, you've, if you've seen them, um, yeah, yeah, that's why. That's why I think I'm doing more football stadiums as well because I got a uh, connection to obviously sport. So um, yeah, yeah. I also noticed like cathedrals are like you say the the simpler the building the easier it is to do and it's really like some yeah. beautiful simplicity in that then like you get cathedrals and oh god it's hard it's so intricate yeah. so yeah if I ever do this again I'll probably do less cathedrals because it's just yeah. too much <laughs> yeah we have, in Atlanta we don't really have buildings that old yeah yeah so there's not we don't have a lot of um, of kind of gothic or gothic architecture yeah we have we have some remnants of it but nothing, nothing on a level of cathedral. I, yeah, I can't even really think. We have a few church buildings that would probably be more on the ornate side, but nothing, nothing like England. Well, it's not just England. I mean, like places like Milan and, and Florence uh -huh. and uh, a lot sure. of European countries, like very religious countries as well. Um, yeah, have a lot of those sort of things. Uh, I was going to ask you about. Sort of philosophy of design as well. Um, sure. What we're going to go into with the so if you do obviously talk about a lot on your in YouTube videos and the books that you've read as well, which I thought were cool because I haven't actually read any of those. The top five books that you recommended. Um, first of all, what sort of what's your personal background and how did you get into design and um, yeah. yeah, your own your own design philosophies. Yeah. So I mean, like I said, so I got started in design as a practice via that kind of internship at that church. And that was really just learning the software. I didn't, it really, uh, wasn't really kind of anything beyond just kind of learning the software and working through some problems. Yeah. I'm pretty much entirely self-taught in, in the best way possible and in the worst way possible. So I find structuring and doing things in a clean way very difficult. Um, but I feel like that I was kind of just thrown into it and, you know, really enjoyed it. I think that um, I've always been interested in 
kind of knowledge and the reason behind things. Hmm. And and so when I started looking into design, it started, I really just kind of did logos and illustrations, and, and that was fine. I think when I started reading uh, Steve Jobs' biography on, uh, well, his, his biography on his life, that's what really kind of opened my eyes to, like, there is something to this design, and there was kind of a purpose. Right. And specifically, you know, the design of technology is for a certain good or, or desired result. Um, and that's when I really started to kind of think more clearly about these things, that it's just, it's not just aesthetics, it's not just a feeling, but it's, um, it's a lot of things. And mainly, it's a utility to accomplish something and that often, and I would say probably every time, the best way to achieve something is to do it the most simple, sophisticated way. Yeah. When, you, uh, when you bring in complexity to solve a problem, you rarely get simplicity in the end. You probably are just creating more problems than you're solving. Um, and so that's kind of a very broad, abstract way of saying this. But for instance, you know, when we design, um, when we design tablets, phones, when we design landing pages, we have to keep these in mind. We don't want to put too many buttons on there. Mm. We don't want to put all this copy. We want something logical. We want it to make sense, and we want that user to perform a function that hopefully will benefit them in the end and not just us. Um, so that's kind of an interesting way to think about design is design doesn't exist on its own because design is nothing, but design is, you know, a, a design of something. And so mm -hmm. the design is always directional. It's never for itself or for the creator. I would say that's more art. Like if you want to create a design uh, on the computer and you want to create it for yourself and you want to print it out, and that's fine. But yeah. that isn't really a design in terms of creating something to achieve a certain function outside of, you know, personal enjoyment. So always having that sort of meaning, meaning behind the the artwork, and that that's what it makes it a design. Yeah, and I think um, I think just doing it for the you know doing it for the good or something, or, or doing it just to accomplish something. Yeah, and that's where minimalism comes into play. In my mind, I don't really see any unique distinction between minimalism and design because I think the best way to design something is to do it in a minimalist fashion. And they're kind of, they're different ways, they're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin, they're different ways of explaining the exact same thing because a good design is one that accomplishes the goal the best and the best way to accomplish a goal is to do it using the least amount of resources, doing it the most straight, effective way um, like, you know, when we're, when we're traveling to a destination, um, the most direct route is going to be the route that we take, whether it's because we're avoiding traffic or, you know, maybe the highway is faster. Uh, and that's what I would say is simplicity and minimalism is, is best to them. There's no use in taking the long route for the sake of it because you're trying to get where you're going. It's a design is kind of the same thing. There's not really a purpose to add things unless there's a unique goal in mind uh, for that specific function. Do you think that applies to the process of design as well? Because we see um, some big designers talking about 
just having the first idea that comes into your head and just nailing that. And then other sort of well, other designers talk about having a lot of sketching, a lot of ideation, just to make sure that backing up that idea is is right. Yeah. So I would say I would say that it really depends on on what you're designing. Right. Um, and I would say case by case, it's kind of a, not a great answer, but, um, to kind of add to that, I think that it is incredibly hard to create a simple product or service or whatever, because I think by nature, we are not very clear communicators. We're not very clear creators. That's why we use editing software. That's why we work on a design and revise it. The first, often the first thing that comes out, may it be the most genuine, the most straightforward, it's probably not the best idea. Mm. And involving others into the process or just reviewing it over again and again over, over the course of different days often brings about a better result. But I think there comes to a point where you could do that too much and you're not, you know, you're not shipping the product, you're not pressing publish, and you're kind of wasting your time instead of working on something else to to get better or make that better. So th- there's definitely a balance there. Mm. But I would say in the end, it's, it's very you know incredibly hard to create something simple. And oftentimes you're going to put in more work to create a simple product than you are to just kind of create a messy product that's pretty complicated for users to use. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's why there's such a beauty in simplicity. And that's why it is such a hard thing to get right. Like uh, Paul Rand said, can't remember exactly, but he said it's creating something simple is harder than creating something. I can't remember something. I can't remember the full quote, yeah. but you go. I mean, it's it's harder to, yeah, exactly. to get to that. Cause it takes steps to reduce uh, the, the things to get to that simple state. Um, yeah. For sure. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It it's kind of a process of molding. Like you mm. you end up you have this lump of clay. Uh, and you want to mold it into something. You have to keep pulling it away at different parts, um, and that's and that's really what I try to do when I build the website or when I think about design. Is what can what can we remove? What do we need to add to make this better? I mean, I think minimalism isn't always <coughs> minimalism isn't always starting with a lot and whittling it down. Sometimes you actually have to add stuff because you're not communicating enough on a certain topic um so yeah i mean that that also happens too yeah i like you go back to like you said um finding that right balance is is key isn't it yeah yeah definitely uh yeah i think you can see in my my video about it like kenya hara is probably the most thoughtful uh designer on the topic that i've read i think Dieter Rahm's really really good in practice obviously some very thoughtful you know, pieces by him as well. But Kenya Harrow puts it in a way that really kind of blew me away. And, and I mentioned some of those in the video, that being like design is supposed to be invisible. <coughs> yeah, like this. Um, and it becomes that distraction. It becomes distracting when it's not invisible. And I think a lot of designers who are not kind of on... Uh, the minimalist side of things would say, well, it's kind of boring or, it, you know, it doesn't feel like it's a reflection of me. Mm. And I think that's the very point. It's it's not supposed to be entertaining. It's not supposed to be personally reflective. 
Um, I'm not supposed to get some great worth out of creating something that's truly mine, but really creating something that's truly the user's. Yeah. Because when you start to define things for the user, you take away the user's ability to express themselves upon the thing. So if you create this chair that can only be sat in a certain way, it's really restricting for the user. And you're going to do that with these different stylistic choices, maybe the way you structure the chair. It can only be sat in one way. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not super great. You want, to, you want to provide some kind of flexibility for the user. And the more, the more that you provide that flexibility, the more that user can, can use it as they would see fit and not necessarily as only the designer would see fit. And so that's, it's really kind of a self-sacrificing thing in a way empathetic, thinking about how can the user best use this product to succeed at what they're doing and how can I stay out of that process in terms of putting my signatures on this. Like obviously, minimalist designers have their own cues and, and kind of their own sensibilities and things that come through. I think those are very minimal in and of themselves. Like those are hard to find. You can you can kind of tell if you study Dieter Rahm's Braun you know, yeah. things that he made, but most people won't won't be thinking about him when they use the product. They're just using a product that works well yeah. for their life. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I, I like uh, the idea of moving moving into more sim- like just yeah, just simplicity. It's such a such a nice thing. It's sort of calming in a way. Uh, everything very clean. Oh, yeah. and just on the point. Yeah, that's that's what um, Dieter Rams shared yeah. mostly on because he was he was creating uh, you know household appliances, and so you have these household appliances. They perform a specific function within the house, and they're not like that interesting. They're just kind of things that do things that make life easier. Yeah, and so a lot of people want to make them bright colors and patterns and it's really quite obnoxious and you have all these things around you that are screaming for your attention and it's actually physically exhausting for like your senses to like, there's a thing called sensory overload. Like that's why we have a term for them because there is a point at which there's too much sensory information for us to even emotionally uh, take hold of. And, so his small part in helping reduce that sensory overload in the world was creating products that were largely beige, black, white stuff that faded into the background. A nice finish. I mean, a good like a person can really appreciate the beauty of their products, but ultimately the common day everyday individual is just putting them on their shelf and they're not thinking about them. Yeah. And basically, it gives the people the ability to ignore things that are non-essential for that time, you know, in their day. But you don't need the coffee pot after the morning, so you don't want that coffee pot, you know, coffee pot to be red and screaming at you all day, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, grasping for your attention. So it's a clever thing that you notice that as well, rather than just, like, to, to actually think about that and, and notice it and implement it in his design, I think that's amazing uh, that someone's actually, actually taken time to think about it and, uh, yeah, what makes that, it unique? That is actually uh, that is actually kind of the role of the designer, uh, and obviously I'm very biased towards designers, but yeah. I think um, the designer's role in society is very very important because uh, the everyday individual does not have the time, nor are they being paid, to take notice of these things. 
um, to see how these things, you know, whether it's an urban designer, whether it's um, an architect or graphic designer, every one of these roles has a decision to make life easier or harder for individuals that, and, and those, again, those individuals don't have the time to look out for themselves or the expertise to, to see where to look. And so designers play a really, really crucial role in between the everyday consumer and the business person and the architect. Because you have all these business needs, you have all this money, and then you have the architect who says, we can build this. You know, uh, it, it's almost like if you picture a road, it's a perfectly fine road, and an architect uh, or an engineer says, we can build a bridge here. Um, and you know, maybe there's some there's some benefit to a bridge, but really it doesn't really need to be a bridge here. There's a perfectly fine road. The bridge can be built. You know, the engineer knows how to build that bridge. We have enough money to build the bridge. It's really the designers who are standing in between, you know, those business needs and the consumers saying, oh, we really don't need a bridge. Um, this road is perfectly fine. Yeah. And it's kind of that conversation that happens over and over again um, on every single level, and, and really, the, it's up to the designer to kind of synthesize this information and fight on behalf of the everyday person mm. that this is, uh, you know, this is good design, this is bad design, or this is harmful to the person in some way. I like that. That's, that's a really nice way of summing it up. That's awesome. Cool. Uh, so moving on to the last sort of few sure. questions I asked to to everyone on the on the show. So the first one is to your best purchase under a hundred dollars. Nice. <laughs> best purchase under a hundred dollars. I can't remember something I bought under a hundred dollars. But I, I would have to say a book probably. I'll give I'll give I'll give a few. I actually didn't purchase these, so I got them for free. But probably one of the best things that I've gotten in recent time is. Uh, these Apple AirPods, freaking yeah. awesome! Um, How are they? Are they good? They're just, yeah, 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 they're really well designed. You open up, I mean, they pair it instantly. I yeah, I see, never I have see. to pair them. Like I instantly take them out of this little box mm. and put them in my ears, and then press play on whatever I'm using, and it's already connected. So yeah. That's really awesome. Um, they charge in the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that that makes a really nice user experience because. I don't have to plug the earphones into anything. I just put them in the case. Case charges them. I charge the case. That works really well. So I like that. I think, honestly, some of these design books might be above $100. Design books are, they are. a little bit too expensive. They are these days, yeah. Um, so you can watch that video for some of the recent design books I'm reading. Right now I'm reading a book on uh, blockchain technology. Ooh. And so that's really interesting. And yeah. a lot of you know what's happening in blockchain and you know bitcoin and these other coins will definitely impact designers um and i think in really positive ways i think we're going to see an emergence of freelance that is more um stable for the freelancer that um that kind of almost gives you equity in a company as it grows and compensates you as you bring value to the company for instance if you were to design a website for a company today, they'd pay you, you know, a few hundred dollars, maybe a few thousand dollars. Yeah. They're going to pay you that money. They're going to move on. Um, that website could make them, you know, thousands of dollars, yeah. maybe a million dollars. Or maybe you're, you're, you're designing a logo for the next big brand. 
And there's no way for you to charge fairly for that because there's no guarantee of success when you're designing this website. And there's no kind of guarantee that they're going to come back and give you any money when it's actually successful. That's just kind of not how it works. But I think we're going to see a time where you're paid in token that is tied to their company's success. And when you bring more value to that company, that token is, is going to in itself become more valuable. Yeah, yeah. And there you will kind of have um, payment that grows with the company instead of uh, just a flat fee and, and then moving on. Very interesting. I didn't think about that. That's cool. I like that idea. So, yeah. So, that was a good book. Uh, yeah, I would say books. Best, best thing you can buy under $100 for sure. Yeah, nice. What is your design advice to your number one tip to designers? Number one tip is definitely, and this ties in with some sleep, I think is definitely start a personal project in an area that you're passionate about mm. and hopefully an area that other people are passionate about. What I stumbled upon in Simple City was that everybody loved their own city. Um, everybody has city pride. Even if they're just staying there, even if they didn't grow up there, um, they just see it around them. People wearing the t-shirts of, of the sports teams. and There's just a, a, a great pride that happens with the city when people come together and are kind of unified by their, their, their geographic location. And so I stumbled upon the love of the city and, um, and also some love of the buildings and of the architecture community kind of enjoying it. But really, it was intrinsic. It was something that I loved and was willing to put hours and hours in without getting paid. didn't even really think of it as payment. Yeah. And it was the best way, and it's gotten me so much business since then uh, because people, because it's really applicable, applicable to what they want. You know, so mm-hmm. real estate agents want their own buildings. Developers want their own That's buildings cool. done in this style. So I think um, definitely when you're starting out, you're... Your style, your, your uh, skills need honing. So doing a personal project that you yourself control in an area that you love is a good way to get better faster, to gain exposure, and to gain work in that very thing. Mm. Uh, so if you want to do logos, just start, you know, start designing logos, rebrands of, of brands you like, or make up companies and, and find a way to do it that way. Nice. So I just, like you saying about... Um like real estate agents and housing like properties and uh, I didn't think about that I'm going to start marketing towards uh, yeah. <laughs> towards real estate agents <laughs> for sure yeah yeah so um, doing a lot of build- buildings locally makes that a little easier for me because yeah. I'm able to, to you know meet up with people in Atlanta who are doing you know projects in Atlanta but yeah I would say a lot the majority of my commissions are for some but are from people who in one way or another, own a building or have buildings, and they want to use kind of a simple illustration to market that building. We could be on something there. <laughs> no. <Brilliant>. Yeah, um, <laughs> for sure. Also, next one's a bit deep. Uh, last, pretty much sure. the last one. Um, how do you want to be remembered? Nice. Really, I think one. I actually just wrote down my life goals, my hashtag life goals. Uh, they're pretty. They're pretty broad. Nice. I. I think I just want, I mean, in a simple sense, I want to be remembered as a good man, as somebody who was just, you know, who was respected, who, uh, you know, was good, kind to friends and family, um, participated in the local uh, community, gave back, all those good things. I, I think just in a simple sense, I want to be remembered as that. 
um, and not and not too glorified. I think in a in a greater sense, uh, and maybe less about being remembered, but about kind of leaving a legacy that kind of transcends my life. I want to really bring design to the masses. Um, I want to help designers in, in their career. I want to educate non-designers on the importance of design and how it can change their life and business, and essentially make uh, make the world a better design place, both aesthetically but also functionally, um, make cities better, smarter, uh, make applications better, make cars better. Um, really, wherever design can take me, I'm, I'm willing to kind of go there and see how uh, we can make things better. Fantastic. I love that. Um, yeah. I always say make the world better by design as well. That's one of my sort of slogans, so that's fantastic. For sure. It's a really good one. Um, where, can people, uh, where can people find you and say hello on social media and just... Yeah, speak to you. Yeah, so I am at Preston Atterbury pretty much everywhere. That's Preston, A-T-T-E-B-E-R-Y. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube by that same name. If you want to check out the Simple City Project, that'll be simple.city. And if you're a designer or if you need a designer, you can check out designq.io. And that is kind of my small network of designers based here in Atlanta. We help startups and universities and other organizations get access to good design in a simplified way. Oh, nice. Awesome. Um, I'll put the links yeah. down in the description anyway, but that's, thanks very much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Sweet. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Creative Waffle. I really appreciated Preston being on the show. Uh, I've, I've been a big fan of his work for a long, long time now. So if you can go and give him a follow, that'd be great. Say hello, say I sent you. And don't forget to share the podcast. Leave a like, a comment, a review, wherever you are. Thanks very much for watching, and I'll catch you in the next episode.